Welcome to Writer Writer Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. We also cover craft, the agent hunt, query trenches, publishing industry, marketing, and more. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com. And make sure to visit the Writer Writer Pants on Fire blog for additional interviews, query critiques, and more at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. And don't forget to check out the Writer Writer Pants on Fire Facebook page. Give me feedback, suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, and let me know if there's someone you would love to see as a guest. Today's guest is Shane Layton, Editor-in-Chief of Parliament House Press, an indie press specializing in science fiction and fantasy. Join us for a conversation about the benefits of working with an indie press, the occasional disparagement of genre writers and their fiction, as well as the effects of COVID, the pandemic, and the new normal have affected both the traditional and the indie publishing industry. Midway through the episode, enjoy a conversation with our sponsor, iAlly, a new app specifically designed for family caregivers. Capable Monsters is a new book of poetry by Marlon M. Jenkins that uses the Pokédex to explore blackness, queerness, and coming of age in America. With the narrative richness of the world of Pokémon as a backdrop, Capable Monsters charts what it means when we're made to feel like monsters and how we fit into our world. You can get Capable Monsters now from BullCityPress.com. And listeners of this show can save $5 on any book order by entering the coupon code FIRE. You'll save on poetry, fiction, and nonfiction, including titles like Equilibrium by Tiana Clark, The Temple by Michael Bizet, and There Will Be No More Good Nights Without Good Nights by Laura Vandenberg. That's $5 off any book order at BullCityPress.com with coupon code FIRE. Capable Monsters by Marlon M. Jenkins. Have you ever loved anything you were not afraid of? We are here with Shane Layton, who is the editor-in-chief of Parliament House, a fairly new publisher located in Florida that deals specifically with science fiction and fantasy. So we're going to talk a little bit about Parliament House specifically here in the beginning of the episode. And then later on, we're going to talk about publishing in general. But why don't we start with you telling us a little bit more about Parliament House, what it is, what it's all about. Parliament House came about, it is the brainchild um, of myself and my good friend Chantal Gadori. Uh, we put our heads together about four years ago, and um, specifically, we were having a conversation about the current marketplace and especially what is missing within the independent publishing community. You know, I find that publishing in general very steeped in mystery. <laughs> a lot of authors don't have a good grasp on, I guess, the ins and outs sometimes, and and some of the gatekeeping, and and I think while some of that is necessary. I think that there could be a little bit more communication and accessibility. So we, we were just having that conversation. And I was a hybrid author. I was traditionally published and also independently published. So we were having a conversation. And our first love uh, in literature is, of course, fantasy and science fiction. I said, well, what if we started a publishing company? You know, it was just kind of like a crazy idea, like a, a cockamamie thing. Like, what if we did this? Because... I think between the two of us, we have some really great knowledge. I think if we find people to join our team who are smarter than us <laughs> and surround mm-hmm. ourselves with with people who are who are smarter and better than us, I think that we could, you know, do something really great. One of my personal heroes in just pop culture in general is Guillermo del Toro. His whole stance is, you know, being at home with the monsters and being accepting of all different types of personalities, people, creatures, what have you, however you identify. He has made a home for like the wonderfully weird. And that's what I personally wanted to do for 
publishing. That's how the Parliament House was kind of born, was just the way any other good novel is born, which is you ask a what if question, what if this were possible, mm-hmm. or what if this was a, a real thing? And then we made it into a real thing. And now four years later, it's growing. There have been some growing pains, of course, but it's it's doing doing really well. Um, we hope to continue doing well. And uh, we're really excited about the future. There definitely needs to be more transparency in publishing. It's interesting to me. I've been traditionally published since 2013. There are things I don't know. I just don't know. So, for example, I don't know when a publisher sells a copy of my audiobook to a library. I don't know what it costs and how much of that cut I get. Like, if that was a question that just came up the other day with friends of mine. I could find the answer. I could ask and find out, certainly. I mean, it's not like anybody would refuse to tell me. But there are so many, at the basic level questions that could easily be answered and it's not going to harm the publishing industry to share a little bit more. Absolutely. It's people that are outside of the industry, they'll ask, you know, how is the new book doing? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know, you know, <laughs> and they're completely shocked by that. And I have to explain, look, I won't know until I get my royalty report in six months. Those are six months behind in timing. Mm-hmm. So I actually won't know how the book's doing for about a year as far as like hard numbers. And people are generally shocked by that. Now, I do have friends who have gone, have wandered into the self-publishing and indie world, and they tell me that there is kind of a double-edged blade there in being able to have daily reports on how many books you've sold Mm -hmm. because it can get a little bit anxiety-producing when you can see the immediate feedback of everything that you're doing or not doing. It can also be too much information. Interesting question. I mean, I do think that publishing, it would not hurt anyone to be a little more forthcoming. I also understand that if I knew daily what my sell rate was, I might go a little bit crazy. If you're working with a a small independent publisher, like, you know, let's say you were working with the Parliament House, there's a little bit of a co-op energy that goes on there, I think more so than like working with a major trad publisher. Um, That, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, tends to be a little bit sterile, just because they have so many things that they're dealing with, of course, but you get the benefit of having that big marketing machine behind you. Sometimes not every time, of course, but that that's kind of an industry misconception is that, you know, if you are a part of a major trad publisher that you're going to be an overnight rock star, which, you know, can definitely happen. And it's more likely to happen in that situation, but it's not always the case. I strive to be as communicative as possible with our authors. So like, just this morning, I I got an email from one of our authors, like, hey, I would love an update as as to how, you know, my title's doing. And so that's pretty easy for me to see. I just go into our distributor dashboard, I have a look, I can send her a screen grab and you know, we have a good understanding and a good back and forth. I know not every publisher is willing to do that. We do that because we heavily rely on working hand in hand with our authors from a marketing standpoint. I mean, yes, we absolutely do have our marketing team. Um, somebody who's sending out your press release, trying to get publicity for you. We absolutely do have all of that in place. That's our job. That's why we're here. But because we don't have that big marketing machine behind us, we need that help and we need to work hand in hand with our authors. So it's like, I find Mm -hmm. that the authors who are more involved, uh, have a little bit of a louder voice, are asking more questions, um, are actively coming up with their own kind of marketing ideas. The more that happens, the more we have to build off of and to support and, and bolster those efforts. Amazon, I know, is, you know, their royalties are deferred by, I think it's 60 days. Um, yeah. A couple of other stores are deferred as well. So it's like, you know, your publisher has to wait just like you have to wait. But if I can see something and share that with you currently, uh, while we're working together to make a plan to get your book to the right readers, then why not do that? I always tell incoming authors who have questions like, you know, why should I... Uh, go with an independent publisher. Like sometimes I get that question. You can find success. Each publishing avenue can benefit 
different types of personalities and different types of authors. You know, some authors are better suited to self-publish and they will do wonderfully. One of my really good friends is Shelly Crane, who wrote Significance, Wide Awake. She's a New York Times bestselling author. She did that all on her own. She's self-published and she is phenomenal. Some authors like to have that um, kind of intimate community, that team behind you, that collaborative effort. Recently, we've achieved a couple of cool things for our authors. Uh, we got a, our first starred review with Publishers Weekly, which was really cool. Um, so nice. there's, yeah, so there's definitely benefits to um, having that that team behind you and that publisher behind you. So, you know, or mm-hmm. if you want to go the traditional route, absolutely do that. But I, I, you know, anybody who dismisses like self-publishing as a way to find success, I think that's BS. <laughs> I think that right. different things are, are right for different people. And the only way that you're going to know is if you try to get the experience from all of those. And I know just from my experience in the trad world, I am very active, even though I'm published by HarperCollins, I'm very active with my own promotions and doing events and making myself visible and doing speaking and uh, writing classes, um, very active or used to be more active on social media, but I'm always there and I'm always doing everything I can every day to draw attention to my books. I do believe that I move the needle, but I have no indicators of how much. So for example, I used to do a physical mailing. My books have had luck in uh, different states with winning like librarian awards and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in states where I have won awards, I have a database of libraries in that state. And I started doing physical mailings. I don't know if you can hear that. I live in a condo building and of course they're deciding to drill right now. (laughs) Oh, that's okay. Personally, I think that having like little noises actually makes it more conversational and real for the listeners. So it's not a problem. But I would do these physical mailings of postcards to libraries all across the state, um, every single public library in my own state. But then um, I'd won some awards in Maryland and I won an award in uh, Oklahoma. And so I had at one point like a very significant thousands, I think three to 4,000 mailers that I would send. And so getting them printed, postage, mailing those out, that got expensive and time consuming. I had no way to measure are these physical mailings doing any good at all? Is anyone even noticing them? Are they ending up in a trash can? Like, I, I have no idea because I don't have immediate feedback on sales. I can't see that boost because a lot of the people that I'm mailing to are library, school and library people. Mm. And so, you know, those sales are going through probably Ingram. And so I just, I don't have access to that data. Now for my newest release, which was this March, I never actually did a physical mailing because I spoke with my editor and he was like, I can't say whether or not it's even putting a bump in there. Because I said to him, I was like, maybe you could get me, like, I'll tell you when I send them and you can tell me if there's a bump. And he was basically like, I don't even know if we can get that information kind of thing. Well, (laughs) maybe it's just not worth it. And then This, uh, of course, March was when my new book came out and the entire nation was in flux. So I just didn't do the mailing. It's difficult when you have things that you do that you really put a lot of effort into and you simply don't know if they're working. And I think having access to numbers through an indie publisher like that, if one of your authors did something like that, if they were mailing out three to 4,000 postcards, you would know if it was having an effect, I would assume. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think I could see that right away, but I, I think their efforts, if they were to mail out postcards, it would be a little bit of a different situation. I mean, they might mail it to um, like industry professionals, like you said, uh, librarians and things like that. But I think for them, you know, their efforts would be geared more directly to the reader as opposed to 
like right. an industry person. And that's, that's a major difference in trad pub versus indie versus self. We're down here trying to talk directly to the reader, whereas with your experience, it's more of a business to business kind of a thing. But yeah, if, if they were to do something like similar to that, then of course, firstly, I mean, they can see their Amazon rankings fluctuate. I mean, so, so many of my authors revolve their day around their Amazon rankings, like yes. um, watch it, watch it like a, like the stocks <laughs> um, yeah. and try to try to measure it that way. But yeah, it's for us, it's pretty instantaneous or it had been pretty instantaneous. Um, we had been working with more of an independent distribution service in the past um, that anybody can really access. Our digital catalog was picked up by IPG. So we are headed in the direction of becoming more of a mid-level publisher, which is my personal goal. Things will change. I don't know how things are going to change yet. <laughs> um, that remains to be seen, but it's, it's definitely been a very cool experience. Um, so far, I've learned a lot. So we'll see what happens. Nice. Very cool. So the next thing I want to talk to you about deals more with genre because I have a lot of friends in the industry or specifically genre writers. Now I am a YA author and I can tell you as someone that writes for teens that writing for children and teens is often looked down upon by people that write for adults and even readership. I've had readers, people that aren't in the industry ask me, so when are you going to write a real book? You know, this book is pretty real. If I hit you with it, it'll hurt. It can be really frustrating. And I know that genre authors, their craft tends to be looked down upon a little bit more simply because of being genre, of writing sci-fi, of writing fantasy. And I have many friends that are genre authors, highly frustrated with that. And I understand completely. I know that readers can be segregated in that if you're a sci-fi reader, you just read sci-fi. Fantasy readers just read fantasy. And I think that may be part of it is that you see occasionally those pockets of readers that only read the one thing and they don't wander outside of that genre. I was just really curious about your take on that, about the perception of genre, any genre, writing being less than. I haven't come up against anything um, personally like that yet. I don't think we have been in the environment um, that would lend itself to that kind of criticism yet. Mm -hmm. um, but I have heard similar things from colleagues and friends that, you know, are working with the larger trad or like, you know, in, in kind of different circles. So I have heard that in the past. It's super unfortunate. I agree. <laughs> every book is a real book. I mean, every author, mm -hmm. of course, their blood, sweat and tears into their story. So what determines a real book exactly when you're, you know, laboring over your words? Um, like, for instance, obviously, I, I know JK Rowling is in a bunch of hot water right now but um yeah. like but I do want to bring up Harry Potter just just as a book you know regardless of her um that's a fantasy obviously and it's written for children grew into an adult series as as the readers grew up which I think was done very well that's a story that has transcended demographic if an author can write something if you can transcend demographics and if you can reach your readers so thoroughly and if your book means so much to people the way that that did then that's a real book I'm gonna be 30 next month um I still read YA I love YA and if you can kind of blur the lines between what is YA or there's there's that whole argument about new adult too like is new adult a thing yeah. is that a genre my argument is that it absolutely is I know a lot of the major publishers have yet to accept it, but you can't deny the fact that it is a category right now on Amazon, particularly in romance, but hopefully that will change. And it mm -hmm. sells like crazy. I mean, you can't deny those sales numbers. I, I think it's all valid. I, I think that the industry needs to be much more accepting. Well, and I think readers in general need to be much more accepting. I freely admit to being at one time what my sister called a lit bitch. And, and Harry Potter is what broke me out of that. I was in college and I was an English major. And so, you know, 
I wasn't necessarily just reading the classics, but, you know, I was reading Dom DeLillo and I was reading really heavy stuff. But I was not reading. I mean, I would not categorize genre as something I looked down on. But popular fiction, I was just like, no, I'm not going to read that. So the one thing that I admit to having almost a complete fetishization of was the Outlander books. And um, I love, I love telling people that I was reading Outlander in the 90s. So (laughs) screw you, everybody that got here 20 (laughs) years later. But um, I, I freaking love the Outlander books. And the thing about Outlander is that they're amazingly well-written. She is an amazing writer. Everything about them really is truly next level craft. But when you try to pitch it to people just as a reader, and this was 20 years ago, I'd be like, okay, I have a book recommendation for you. It's amazing. I need you to read it. And they'd be like, what is it about? And I'm like, okay, you have to ignore the first sentence and just work with me. Time travel romance. And they're just like, okay, right? You know? (laughs) And I'm like, no, it's really good. You need to read it. So my sister would really blow me off about Outlander. And I would really blow her off about Game of Thrones and Harry Potter. And finally, she was like, you know what? You read Harry Potter or Game of Thrones, and I'll read Outlander. It was over a summer, you know, spending time Mm -hmm. at the pool. And I was like, okay, all right. And both of us end up having two, three, four, five hour-long conversations about these books that each of us had dismissed. That's wonderful. For one reason or another. Like, that just gave me chills, though, because that's that's what it should be. I just, yeah, I wish there were, there was more of that in the world. Like, you know, I, I feel like on your bookshelf, you can simultaneously have a key spot for the secret history by Donna Tartt, right? You could read that. And then right next to it, you can have like the Harry Potter series, right? Because it's like, of course you can. <laughs> why not? Of course you can. I mean, nobody, and, and you don't have to hide Harry Potter when people come over. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. I mean, I was in my early 20s. And so I just really thought I was super smart and, um, you know, ended up just like really enjoying Harry Potter and, and being someone that didn't even pick him up until the fourth book came out. And then on July 7th of 2007, standing by my mailbox, waiting for my book, you know, exactly. waiting for the seventh book. I'm really glad that I had the experience. I have friends that have uh, wandered into the self-publish and the uh, indie industry. And, you know, they, they would tell you, you know, what I write is fluff. It's paying their house payment every month. Mm-hmm. So whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I wish readers would give the independently published novel more of a chance because, you know, mm-hmm. yes, there's a lot of rough (laughs) manuscripts that make it to the marketplace Mm -hmm. that probably shouldn't. Um, But at the same time, there are a lot of gems in there too. And it just so happens. Yeah. So like just in the same way as maybe, you know, somebody not wanting to pick up a YA fantasy book or whatever, because their tastes are more refined or sophisticated, like you had mentioned, Mm -hmm. um, same thing goes for the book that is not majorly um, published or majorly distributed. So I really urge mm-hmm. people to to be more adventurous about what they're reading. I hope one day readers become a little bit more adventurous. I agree. I used to work in a high school library. I worked in there for 14 years. And one of the things that we would do was we called it blind book date. And we would wrap uh, books in paper bags from the store, Mm -hmm. cover them up, cover the cover. And then we would write on the outside, you know, boy finds out secret past and must face down a huge enemy or, you know, something like that. Like we would put a really vague description or put, you know, um, a love story about an assassin, you know, or something like that. <laughs> right. So that the readers wouldn't know what the genre was and they couldn't see the cover. They couldn't have that preconceived notion. We would just be like, this is what the book is about. And we would have so many kids that would pick up a book that otherwise they would have never have picked up, wander into a genre they may have never read because of that. 
Join us now for a quick conversation with our sponsor, iAlly, a new app designed for family caregivers. I'm here with Lucinda Coza, who is the creator of an app called iAlly, which is a holistic support app for family caregivers. So Lucinda, why don't you tell us a little bit about what the app does, what its purpose is, and how you came to create it? So I created iAlly after I became my father's full-time caregiver in late 2018. He had suffered several strokes and I became his caregiver, even though I had siblings and other people that I expected to help out in this situation, which I've found out since is really common, just all fell on me, um, on one person, um, usually female as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a really, really tough time. And I noticed a real lack of advocacy and support and, and any sort of resources for the family caregiver specifically. There were social workers and their job was to help the hospital or the health insurance. There was no one that asked me if I was okay or Mm. if I could even accomplish the tasks that were being asked of me. Especially when the pandemic started, I just thought, this is unacceptable. I I have to create something. There are so many of us. There are over 40 million unpaid family caregivers in the U.S. alone. Mm. We're just invisible. Well, we need to be connected to each other, at least. If we're invisible to everyone else, we have to be visible to each other. I created iAlly as a way for us to connect and provide mutual aid and support, but not just support, but actually action-based solutions and resources Since its creation, I've been able to implement um, financial courses, financial literacy courses, legal counsel, along with a legal matching service. So it matches you with someone in your state. There is access to uh, mental health treatment through chat therapy, as well as obviously telehealth. And then also you could meet your therapist in like a park and do sort of like a walk and talk therapy session, which is um, particularly helpful for someone like a family caregiver who does not have time or flexibility to devote to their own care. I've been able to add all of these different elements like digital matching service for available clinical trials for your patient. So there's lots of really cool resources that are involved. My mission is to just empower the caregiver, finally. And I feel like we should be treated that way by all of these companies that are vying for our money and our attention and all of those things. It's so true. You were saying, especially females, it lands on our laps. I know that my my ex, his mother lost one husband and had been remarried and nursed her second husband through a long series of health problems. And then he passed away. And then her brother had become ill and been ill for a while. And his doctor actually suggested to him why don't you just move in with your sister? Never, oh. bring, yeah, never <sighs> bringing her wants or needs or life into account. Just simply, you know, she's a retired older woman. I'm sure she would just love to take care of you. And I was very proud of her because mm-hmm. she was just said, "No, uh, I have done this twice. It's time for me to." go have my own life. And she herself was a breast cancer survivor who went through her own trials and was just like, no, I am not going to sacrifice myself yet again. And I was very proud of her for that. And also shocked at the suggestion from a perfect stranger that this woman's life become essentially a servant yet again to someone that was ill. And you're right. You're so right. And so many skills and so many emotional 
responses and so many things that are paid in the nursing and health sector that fall upon usually women who are not paid for this care. We are expected to be selfless in these situations. And that's a lot. Absolutely. Yes. It's an automatic expectation that we will serve if we don't want to complete these tasks or perform this full-time job for no pay. It's like something's wrong with us. Your responsibility by default, which is certainly not a copacetic situation for anyone. And and if you choose to pass on this great opportunity, then uh, it is a reflection upon upon you. And I don't know, maybe lack of compassion when instead you're, you're simply standing up for yourself and saying, no, I don't, I don't want this. I think it's wonderful that you've created this app. Again, it is called I Ally, and it is a holistic support app for family caregivers. As Lucinda said, it connects users to mutual aid, administrative advocacy, telehealth. There's also a database of providers, financial and legal counsel, access to clinical trials, and of course, just the community of other caregivers and people who are in this situation. So thank you so much for coming onto the show and for the opportunity to share with my listeners about your app, iAlly. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I want to shift gears now and talk about publishing in general and specifically about COVID because uh, we've been doing this for six months now. Mm. I know what the effect has been on the trad market because I was touring my last book, my most recent book released on March 3rd, and I came home from a week of touring and the country shut down. Mm. I was supposed to be, I had things scheduled, uh, my my publisher had things scheduled for me, but I also personally had scheduled things for about six weeks straight. I was simply not going to be home. And we got one weekend and everything shut down. So I lost so many, so many opportunities, literally thousands of people when you bring it all together that I would have been in front of personally speaking about my book, putting it in their hands, putting it in front of them. Mm -hmm. I lost that ability. And that loss has continued now for six months. Uh, Obviously, we can talk about the fact that bookstores were closed for a long period of time. And that, I mean, has an immediate and very real effect on my sales. But I am a personable person. I can hand sell a book. I will have my schedule as packed as I can with library events, teaching, writing classes, doing school visits. And that was a major source of income for me uh, as a speaker. But then also, of course, you know, selling my books and having a bookseller there. All of that has been lost to me. I have a long enough tale, that being my 10th book, that my backlist is going to be okay. You know, mm-hmm. I'll get, I'll, I'll push through this, but I know a lot of brand new writers who, you know, like right out of the gate, a trap door opened up underneath them. Mm-hmm. So, um, I would just love to hear about COVID from the other side of the desk. Talk to me about COVID and the epidemic from a publisher standpoint. Absolutely. Um, cause I have, I have, a completely different perspective. But I will say that a good friend of mine um, who was actually published through us, but then recently kind of rebranded herself as a thriller writer and then was published through Pegasus. She had a similar experience. She was supposed to go on tour. It's her first novel as a, you know, as a major trad author. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she had all of these expectations. And of course that didn't come to fruition this year. And so we were just talking about that too. And, and I'm sorry to hear that that happened to you, by the way. I mean, it's amazing that that's your 10th book, but I know that that doesn't diminish um, the excitement and and what you hope to, to surround your release. So I'm very sorry. I I hope uh, somehow in 2021, when we're coming back from all of this, fingers crossed that that happens. But anyway, so from my perspective, um, in a weird way, in, in, in some way, it's been beneficial um, okay. because it has caused 
everybody, especially back in like March and April to slow down when everybody was in their houses, recentering their lives around family and and simpler things simply because they couldn't go and do anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, there were a lot more people who were reading and reading voraciously Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, being locked in their houses, I think prompted them to become more adventurous. Um, so like we rely a lot on our Instagram presence and, uh, a lot of people were kind of perusing social media locked in their houses and they would say, they would see, you know, maybe a post about one of our books coming out and, Oh, this looks interesting. Let's let me download this because now, you know, I have time to read in the evenings from that standpoint it has been very beneficial. And because, you know, the world kind of slowed down for a while, it it gave us a little bit more cushion to be more productive and to step back and to reevaluate some of the things that we were doing. So another side of it is, you know, working with printers, we work both with Ingram and with KDP to um, manufacture our print books. And um, both of those companies have experienced backlogs with printing and manufacturing. Um, That has slowed the process down to, to get books to our authors because they're still trying to do giveaways online and do virtual signings and things like that. I mean, there's, it's, it's definitely forced people to be more inventive about how they go about doing things. Um, yeah. So, but, you know, people still need their books yesterday. And and um, and that's become a little bit more of a challenge. So, I mean, obviously, it's very unfortunate that it has affected our local bookstores, our mom and pop bookstores, mm-hmm. which I am an advocate to, you know, bring your business there and to buy books there. Um, opposed to Amazon, which is a little bit counterproductive right. of me to say, because our our uh, physical catalog is not distributed, is not like widely distributed to stores. So, you know, we re- right. rely on Amazon and Barnes and Noble um, online for people to to purchase their books and everything. These mom and pop bookstores are, are a cornerstone to this industry. I mean, they're integrally need to be there. It's, it's kind of an argument I have with myself in my own head, but I, um, I hope that a lot of these stores can survive. Uh, I know personally, like my favorite bookstore that I used to frequent did have to close down, unfortunately. Yeah. The pandemic has done good things for Amazon and Barnes and Noble online and like the big conglomerates because people couldn't go to these mom and pop bookstores at the same time. It's been really hurtful to the other side of the industry. So it's interesting. It's hard. I know, believe me. And that's something that you know, every author I know, we have a love-hate relationship with oh, Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> we love them because they move, you know, 40 to 50 to 60, even higher percentage of our books for us. We hate them because they are murdering all those mom and pop stores that we love. And also, um, you know, they sell our books at a discount. I seriously have a moral struggle with it pretty much every day. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, I live in the middle of nowhere. I live in Ohio. I live very rurally. People are lovely. And whenever I do an event or something, people want to thank me or they want to give me a little gift and they give me Starbucks gift cards. And that's super cool. And the nearest Starbucks is half an hour from me. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I know. People are often shocked. That's that's usually what I use as the parameter for how rural I am. Starbucks is half an hour away. McDonald's is 15. That's crazy. As somebody who lives in South Florida, so it's just one city piled on top of the other. And uh, I actually crave more of a of a rural life. So I I envy you. (laughs) I love love where I live. I love where I live. And then, you know, I just put the gift cards into my phone. And when I'm traveling, it's great. I'm like, I'm good. I can have coffee for free for like a, a that's year. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it is. But that's the kind of thing that I deal with when it comes to shopping. Because if I need a tweezers, a book, and spaghetti sauce, me getting those things where I live, I would have to make three different stops to get those things. Yeah. And you know, Amazon, I can be like, I need these three things and they have it to me tomorrow. They're very smart and they, they murder you with their convenience. And you're just like, yeah, sure. That sounds great. Yeah. Point being, I love hearing this, that, that, uh, indie publishers and maybe even larger publishers as well. And I don't know what the outlook is for them as far as sales. I, I do 
pay attention to industry numbers and things like that. I do know that uh, generally one of the things that one of the arenas that saw a huge boost, of course, was educational materials for children Mm -hmm. uh, suddenly blew up the same way adult coloring books did, you know, a couple years ago. Something that has come about as part of this that I, I mourn and I hope that we see recover is that audio was really having a heyday and audio was suddenly just becoming something that you could really count on audio sales and you could count on people searching out that particular medium and audio was really hitting a boom time and then pandemic and people aren't commuting anymore. And I was reading the other day that audio sales have become uh, much more sluggish and that there's been difficulty of selling those rights now because we don't know how much longer working from home situations will continue. Moving and working and shaking in an industry that is entirely based mostly on creating alternate realities and uh, things that have never happened to people that don't exist, which is my uh, tagline for the show. (laughs) But the real world has a very real and prominent effect on us every day. Absolutely. I, yeah, I, I can, I can attest to what you were saying. We saw a couple of really great months in terms of audio sales. Um, and then recently I saw those kind of plummet a little bit, which is unfortunate. I love like audio is my preferred way of reading. Actually. I think it's just a completely different experience. I think it's so much more immersive. Mm-hmm. So I really hope that people, pick up audiobooks more frequently because it's just, it's like I said, it's just so immersive. It's so much fun. Most of my listeners are in fact aspiring authors, although I'm sure I have quite a few readers out there as well. Something that has greatly impacted the publishing industry lately is a paper shortage, which sounds like the weirdest, most bizarre thing in the world, but it's true. And I don't mean toilet paper. I mean, paper. It is difficult to get to printing now. And that is something that I've had to explain to people. I mean, I I don't know my print run numbers for my book that's releasing in February, but I do know that they are not doing any ARCs whatsoever. Wow. Um, I don't believe they're doing any for anyone. So if you could talk a little bit about why there's a paper shortage and what the heck is going on, that would be great. (laughs) You know what? Um, To be honest, I personally don't even know. it's interesting when you had mentioned that in our email exchange back and forth, I actually had to look it up because uh, we right now are still print on demand. There's a backlog. So when we're trying to order yeah. arcs or, or even just get books out to readers or out to, you know, whomever um, it, it's been taking a lot longer. So like before, if we ordered, let's say a carton of like 50 books to print and, and ship and in a nutshell, it would take two weeks. And now it's taking a month or longer. Um, so we're experiencing that. And I'm sure um, KDP, uh, Ingram, Nook Press, or whatever you're working with, I, I'm sure that that's part of the reason. And it's also part partly that they uh, just don't have the manpower. I'm sure they didn't bring back all of their employees. My husband and I are going on a, a camping trip soon. Um, and we realized there was also a bike shortage. <laughs> <laughs> so like it's a it's it's covid and the pandemic has affected um a bunch of things in like a really weird way basic raw materials i'm finding are just harder to come by so i did some antique shopping at the beginning of the summer and i have a bed with a, you know has to have a very specific size mattress because it's not a traditional bed frame. And so I had to order a special order mattress and I went in and I talked to the guy at the mattress store and he's like, well, he's like, I'll put in the order and, you know, gladly take your money. But I'm telling you, it's going to be a while. That was eight weeks ago. And I called the other day and it was just like, Hey, I, you know, I'm just checking in making sure that you didn't forget. And he was like, no, he's like, I called and I followed up on this the other day. And they haven't even begun yet. Yeah. Because they don't have the raw materials to make a freaking mattress. Right. Exactly. I was, um, I I mean, just kind of getting back to books. I had placed an order for one of our authors. It was like, she was waiting for like 30, uh, copies for a signing. So of course, like I have to go through Ingram and, and make sure all of that happens. Mm -hmm. And so like, 
um, I think two weeks had gone by or something like that. It was like two and a half weeks. It was enough time to definitely like in the past to have these books printed and then shipped, you know, they should have been getting shipped off to her. And so she, she nudged me and she was like, Hey, I haven't heard anything about, you know, those books yet. Are they on their way? What's going on? And I looked and they were still printing. It was still in the printing phase. It has been crazy. Last thing that I want to talk to you about Everybody in publishing, everybody knows that, you know, holiday season is a huge boon for us. So what are we expecting for 2020 holiday? What's on the horizon? I can tell you what's not on the horizon (laughs) is it's dystopian books. I think people are not going to pick up a dystopian fantasy for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think they've mm-hmm. lived because we're living it because we are living. Yeah, it. I think they've they've had enough of that. Um, so I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, personally, for us, we've, we've got a couple of um, really great contemporary urban fantasies that are coming out in time for the holidays. And they definitely gear more toward the fun and the funny and the whimsical. Yeah. Um, a book that's been getting a lot of buzz uh, from our catalog is called The Part About the Dragon Was Mostly True by Sean Gibson. It's, that's the one that got uh, that recently got the starred review from Publishers Weekly. Very funny. Um, and I think that that's going to be the kind of thing that readers are going to look for this holiday season. I think they're going to look for things that boost their serotonin levels, whether it be, you know, romance or you, you know, you're talking about frothy books. I I think frothy books are going to do really well. They're important. Um, you know, froth or not froth is important too. Um, yeah. So, and you know, any, anything that, that kind of lightens the mood and, and brings the joy back, I think is going to do very well. And also into 2021, I think there, those books are going to continue to do well. That's what we anticipate. I think also what, what might happen is um, people are going to want to feel comfortable. They're going to want that comfort and the nostalgia. So they're going to go back to what's familiar. So you're going to see a lot of people rereading books that they've loved in the past. Um, so that's a good yeah, point. I agree. I think that'll yeah. happen too. Mm-hmm. Since a lot of my listeners are <laughs> in fact writers, what can, why don't you tell us about the submission process for Parliament House? Absolutely. Um, it actually changes um, season to season. We try to um, be very transparent, like I said before, uh, very accommodating of authors from all walks of the industry. So when we open our submissions back up again, um, which will be sometime in the spring, we accept submissions from unagented authors. Uh, the submissions process is a little bit different than other publishing companies um, because we do the standard write us a query. Uh, we put a lot of weight on your query letters and your pitch um, and your first three chapters include in the body of the email. Um, so we go through that. And once we find something we really love or we really think is interesting and we want to request a full, uh, we request the full. But on top of that, we also request a video submission. That's created a little bit of a conversation among agents, uh, particularly in the industry. I've heard some, I've gotten some interesting feedback about that and and a lot of questions. Um, The reason why we do that is because we are a very author-centric company. Um, I try or we try to work hard with our authors to not only establish, you know, their, the, the particular titles launch for release day, but we also work hard to help our authors establish their brand and their voice. Like you were talking about to lay the foundation so that as they continue to publish, they have that very um, distinct carved out brand. Um, Mm -hmm. So we want to get to know you. We want to get to know what's important to you, the themes of your book, what you want your readers to take away. Um, You know, if you have a certain standpoint on any social issues or or issues that are very important right now, we want to know about that um, because that's all going to come into play uh, with your branding and who you are and how you talk to your readers and and the kind of Mm -hmm. the kind of readers you engage. Right. So we do that. And then we also utilize, you know, should we accept the manuscript for publication, then we utilize that video when we make our acquisition announcement. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, so just like anything else, your, your acquisition announcement will go through to publishers marketplace and all that good stuff. And then, um, you know, we'll do social posts on our various pages and I'll edit it together and I'll make it look super 
fun with music and things like that. And, and, you know, so readers get to know the author because I think, you know, readers buy books based on a couple of different things. Obviously if the blurb is engaging and sounds interesting to them, um, if the cover is really beautiful, I mean, that that's, uh, you know, personally a reason for me, I, I'm very optics driven. So like if I see a beautiful yeah. cover, I want it. I don't care, I don't care what it's about. I just want it on my shelf. Um, so there's that. And then I think that readers also buy books because they buy the authors, you know, if, if there's an author that they, they do. love or has, has a, a particular message or a standpoint that they really get on with, then, then I think that helps to sell your book. So that's why we do that. Um, right now our submissions uh, is closed um, to anything that's unsolicited or unagented. So that's just because our queue is pretty full and we're doing some things within the company. We're reevaluating our production queue, working on giving a lot more time and a lot more attention um, to the books that we take on, particularly like the marketing and the launches beforehand, um, really giving ourselves a broad window to focus on those titles as much as possible. Um, So as we get into 2021, we're going to have a much more established or or a better idea of um, the steps we want to take for those new titles coming in. So, um, Mm -hmm. so we'll, we'll be opening our submissions again, like I said, in spring of 2021, and we're excited to see what comes in. Awesome. And lastly, why don't you tell listeners where they can find Parliament House online? Sure. Our headquarters is parliamenthousepress.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Parliament Books, and you can find us on Instagram at The Parliament Press. Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. Don't forget to check out the blog for additional interviews, writing advice, and publication tips at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar.